reason that I'm here is because you know, the club is seeking change. He said, well, whether you come or not, you're going to see a completely different first team under me. You know, my hope and my desire and what I'm going to try and do is give our supporters hope and, and belief that we're, um, you know, we're going to embark on something special. Welcome into the Tottenham Depot. I am your host, Andrew. It is episode 147, a very sleepy international break for the men and a women's game to talk about as well. Got Caroline alongside to do that with. She is at CG Stefco. Caroline, how are you on this fine Sunday? Doing okay. Uh, my local team kind of disappointed me last night, but Spurs women are kicking ass, so couldn't be better in that aspect. It's very true. It's very true. We've got two victories to talk about on the women's side. Uh, also, later on in this episode, uh, I did an interview with Gareth Thomas, who has a new book out called An Echo of Glory, all about the modern history of Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, really, really cool uh, interview, a good listen. Um, encourage folks to stick around and listen to that and go read the book because it's, uh, it's a good little uh, snapshot of the last 20 plus years of Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, read, read the book this week and uh, talked to Gareth earlier this morning. And uh, we had a good chat, so be sure to stick around for that as well. Uh, before we talk about the women's team, Caroline, um, shout out to Ange Postacoglu, second straight Manager of the Month award, and shout out to Sunny, who uh, did not win the manager or did not win the Player of the Month award last month, but James Madison did. So all all the managerial and Player of the Month awards just in in Spurs trophy cabinet. Stick stick that in your craw. Those who, uh, who who say we don't win trophies, we, we've got a four of them in the last two months on, on those both those categories. How about that? Yeah, we just got to work on those uh, save of the month and goal of the month trophies. Um, haven't gotten any of those yet this season, but it's coming. Yeah, they they're, they're doing a double each month, but got to get got to get the triple the treble or the quad going. Uh, that that would be really nice. Uh, the only other real news, it really has been like we joked before we started recording a sleepy international break. There are a lot of players on international duty. We've seen, uh, even players who don't normally get call-ups destiny Adogi I saw playing for Italy, uh, getting his, his first action with the senior team. Very cool. A lot of all, you know, players uh, out on international duty, but the only real news, uh, in house other than, you know, Ange Postacoglu po- posing for photos with my, some of my, uh, my, my Baltimore Ravens as they were over there to play a game at Spurs Stadium, uh, is the appointment of a new technical director, director uh, Johan Lange, I think. It might be Lange. I kind of prefer if it was Lange, because then we could have Lange and Ange, but um, we'll figure that out. Uh, 43-year-old Danish executive, he comes over from Aston Villa. Uh, he will officially start November 1. Uh, he also previously worked at Copenhagen. This was kind of something that had been in, in, in the rumor mill for a while. Uh, he's going to report to Scott Munn, who, of course, started in his role as chief football officer last month. Um, Caroline, I don't think either of us have a whole heck of a lot to add on this other than good job, Spurs. We finally got a new technical director in place to start you know, the recruitment process and start moving forward with uh, transfer dealings for January, right? Right. And I think it also just reinforces kind of the new club strategy of having all of the teams under the Tottenham umbrella kind of connected in strategy. So, you know, I read that he's going to be overseeing all of the teams, including, you know, all the senior and academy. So just a lot of good cohesion around the club at the moment. So welcome to Johan. Yeah. Johan. I don't know. Johan, Johan, we'll, we'll, we will figure it out. We, we, look, I, 
I, I, I kind of, I'm being flippant about the pronunciation of names. I do always like to get the pronunciation of names correct, uh, but I just, I, I don't know on this one yet. And once I do, I will, I will get it right. Um, but the other, the other kind of weird rumors that have been out there is that we are still going to get a little bit of, of Don Fabio Paratici out there. Like there is still going to be some consulting work going on in that realm, which um, is just funny. I, I don't know what, what other way to put it. It's funny to me that that, that this is all come around to yes uh Paratici still kind of involved and obviously he's he's turned out some some productive players which i can't really can't really be um can't really be down on so it's 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 all good it's all fun um you talked about the cohesion let's talk about the women's team because that is where you know the main action on the pitch was this week uh with no men's game uh spurs women played a midweek match against reading in the conti cup the league cup um and one at six nil kind of going away no problem now this is lesser opposition and i'm gonna let you take the reins on this because i as i told you did not get a chance to watch this game either live or watch it back on spurs play but uh this was you know just business handled in in the first group group stage game right right and i think before we even talk about the game it's important to remember that we are in one of the five team groups for this league cup group stage um, because Arsenal dropped down into our group after not qualifying for the Champions League after all. So we, we do have... What a shame for them. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a shame for us, honestly, because this makes it a lot more difficult to get out of the group in the first place. Um, you know, it, it may come down to having to, to go through the second place route. But we got our business done in this match, obviously. Um, we had 10 changes from the lineup from the WSL game on the weekend. So that was a little surprising to me that there was quite that much rotation, but you know, Robert Vilham had talked about how he wanted to get to see some of the players who hadn't had a lot of action yet, or some of them hadn't had any. Um, and we definitely, you know, got a glimpse of almost all of the senior squad at this point. Um, you know, just Beth England being out injured, um, LA Brazil still to come back from her ACL injury from last season as well. Um, but everybody else we've seen now. So we had a debut for Zhang Lenyan, who's a player that we got on loan this season. Um, she actually scored her first goal for Spurs in this match. Um, it was a really lovely move from Azmita Ale, kind of winning possession in the middle of the pitch, dribbling down past a few defenders and then cutting back to Zhang for that goal. Um, but I thought she brought really good energy from the right wing and I think is possibly going to put some pressure on Celine Bizet for that position because um, we, we know Celine has not quite had the end product yet this season. Um, let's see who else we had. Um, Ale herself got a goal later in the match um, right after halftime. But before that, we had Kit Graham scoring her first goal of the season. Um and like I said, right after halftime, we saw quite a few um, changes. So Ramona Petzelberger made what was just her third appearance, if I recall correctly, for the team. She had a very like injury-ridden season last year, and we, we still don't really know what those injuries were, but she missed you know significant time. But she made almost an immediate impact in this game with a really great through ball to Ale for her goal. Um, Rhea Percival scored a header off of a set piece assisted by Kit Graham. And then we had Jess Naz who had had many opportunities in this game and she finally got on the score sheet 
Um, thanks to Rosella Ion, just really selflessly squaring the ball to her in the box. And then the final goal was Martha Thomas. And this, I mean, this is three goals and three for her at this point. Obviously, uh, we're going to come on to today's game as well. But yeah, she's just been on fire and finding a lot of different ways to score. She's just been very like resourceful, I would say, um, with her possession. And it was, you know, I don't think Reading really had much of a, a chance to get back in this game at any point. It's a very different team than we saw last season. They started a few academy kids even in this game. And, you know, obviously we know they lost quite a few players after getting relegated. So, yeah, it was a, a decisive victory, an expected victory, I would say, but a good start to the Conti Cup. Yeah, lesser opposition, obviously, but you still have to go out and get the job done. And that's exactly what Spurs women did in this scenario. You mentioned the five the five team group. It is uh, Reading, obviously, Bristol City, who Spurs defeated last week in WSL play. Uh, and then Southampton is the other team other than Arsenal. So two two uh, teams from the lower division, Bristol City, who uh, Spurs already beat, and then Arsenal. So, yeah, second place looks like it is where Spurs should slot in there. But who knows? Maybe they can, you know, pick pick the game against Arsenal. The next uh, League Cup match is not until November 22nd, and that does come up against Bristol City. So uh, we will see what comes about. Uh, in, in that match, still still a little ways off now, a little over a month before the next League Cup match. Um, let's talk, I think we're going to learn a little bit more about the WSL match that was played uh, earlier today on the 15th against Brighton. Spurs traveled to the MX Stadium and got a 3-1 win over Brighton. Um, this was, I, we, we talked a little bit last week about going to play Brighton. This is one of those teams that you're probably going to be in competition for in the middle of the table, trying to be that quote-unquote best-of-the-rest type of team this season. And this was a really good, competitive, interesting game to me, mostly because Spurs fell down, honestly, uh, early in the match. They got, you know, they, they were really forward in the first five to ten minutes, but gave up a goal on a set piece against the run of play in the eighth minute and fell down. And, you know, the rest of the half, I would say Spurs kind of dominated after falling down and it paid off with getting an equalizer right before half. Right. I, I think you said in our group chat that Brighton's goal really came against the run of play. Uh, and I agree with that. You know, it was a set piece. And we know even last season, that was kind of an area of weakness for our defense. Um, so clearly something we still need to tighten up. But to be fair to Brighton, they had a pretty strong squad. Um, you know, they made a lot of key signings this year. And I do think they're going to be a much more competitive team than they were last season, as we have been so far, to be fair. Um, but yeah, getting that goal right before halftime, I think was really huge in terms of regaining some control of the match. Um, and we really needed to come out strongly after the break. And I think the match was still fairly even up until we got our second goal. And then it was kind of a matter of wanting to try to, you know, consolidate a little bit. Um, we weren't, I feel like we weren't quite as attacking as we have been in some of our past games so far. Um, but we did end up getting, um, actually, I should mention first that that second goal um, came from Grace Clinton, you know, another player who's on loan and she's had a really bright start to the season and kind of proven, you know, exactly why we signed her on loan and she had a long range shot that was kind of similar to the one that 
Olga Atenen had scored against, I think it was against Bristol. Um, so it's good that we're, you know, scoring kind of a variety of goals. And yeah, let's not downplay it though. It was an absolute banger. Yeah. Like it was a great oh, goal. Yeah. Like, like it was goal a total goal. Yes, yes. 100%. Definitely. Um, and just to circle back to Martha Thomas, her first goal um, in the game, Drew Spence was inches away from scoring her own golazo. Yes. <laughs> so it was kind of a bummer that that her shot didn't go in. But Martha, as always, it seems like, was in the right place to to capitalize on that rebound off the post and um, got her fourth goal of the season, four and four games, just incredible efficiency. And I feel like she was really working so hard in this game. Um, and at the very end, kind of had to be subbed out because she was having a bit of a, a cramp issue. But you know, right at the end of the game, it felt like Brighton were still kind of in it. And even though I think we had way more possession, we were still kind of worried about them equalizing. And then Rhea Percival um, got our third goal of the game in stoppage time. Uh, just Naz was working very hard trying to get a shot off, but just couldn't get around her defender. So she very smartly got the ball back to Percival for a pretty easy shot. So yeah, all in all, I felt like it was a well-managed game after that early setback. And I think Robert Villaham, he was pretty smart with the subs that we had as well. Um, and with the timing, you know, we never really let Brighton get too much momentum going. So overall, I was very happy with this result. And that brings us up to fourth place in the table, uh, thanks to Liverpool dropping some points and United dropping points as well um, this morning. So all in all, it's looking pretty good. Yeah, it's it's a great start. And I think the other key thing from this match that I just want to double click on before we we move on is the fact that once Spurs took the lead at 2-1 on the Grace Clinton banger, that came in the 65th minute. At that point, you know, we're looking if you kind of zoom out, what we're looking at with Spurs women this season is a team that wants to play more attacking football, similar to the men's side. We've talked about this a little bit, that cohesion. We want to be this this is this is our getting our Tottenham back, playing attacking football, free-flowing football. And when you take a lead on the road like they did after falling down early, you come back, you get your two goals, get that second one in the 65th minute. I was really interested to see how they were going to see out the game while still being very attacking. And I thought they did that. I thought that was the really cool thing to watch in this game. They did not sit back. They did not park the bus and try to protect a 2-1 lead in that way. They were still attacking, still going forward, still trying to push for a third goal. And eventually in stoppage time, that third goal did come and sealed the victory at 3-1. I just thought that is um, it's a mindset and it's a, it's a difference in what we saw Obviously, at the tail end of last season, when Spurs were scrapping to 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 stay out of a relegation battle, but also just not able to pick up crucial points here and there. Here, it was like, no, we've got a chance to to kick on and get three points on the road against a team that we think we're going to be competing with this season. I just thought that was a really important early season victory against what I think we would look at as somewhat level competition. Yeah, for sure, um, and I think that. Like you said, the the game management was really smart, and it's it's not that we we didn't stop attacking. I think we just were a little less um, risky about the types of attacks that we were initiating. So we weren't giving Brighton that chance to kind of hit us on the counter, which we did see, I think, at times earlier in the game, and was a bit of a concern. So I thought it was really smart about how we went about that. 
Um, and I think we kind of talked about this with the men's team as well, that they've had kind of faced a lot of different scenarios in the league already in terms of like different game states. And so I think for the women's team as well, this was a really good opportunity to be in sort of a different situation of one, having to make that comeback and then two, seeing at a game while still keeping some of that attacking potency. Um, and I think they did a really good job of it, honestly. And um, a friend of mine, Rosa, was pointing out that we've scored the second most amount of goals in the league so far, just behind Man City. Uh, so, I mean, there were times last year when we struggled to score even one goal. So to be in this kind of position where, you know, not only are we in a good spot in the table, but also our goal difference is looking really healthy. Um, it's, it's just an amazing turnaround, honestly, from last season. Yeah, it's plus three right now, seven, seven, uh, four, uh, and four against. And uh, obviously, it doesn't even include the six goals they scored in the League Cup match. So the, the goals are coming. And again, all of this without Beth England, which is just like, imagine what this could be when you add a, a player of her caliber back into the picture. That is exciting. And we'll, we'll wait on that. But like for now, it looks really fun and good. Uh, Spurs women next play against Aston Villa. Uh, that match is on Saturday, a lunchtime kickoff, I believe. Uh, so we will look forward to that. Um, yeah, Saturday the 21st, they go away to Villa. So uh, another big opportunity for, for a team to to pick up points and against a team that I, I don't know how much, how competitive Villa is going to be in the middle of the table. They might be a little bit more toward the, the bottom of the table this season. Who knows? But still, go go get the job done. The, the WSL, to, to your point that I think you're about to make, is totally topsy-turvy this season. Like, who, who really knows? It's early, but it's very weird right now. Right, exactly. I don't think anyone going into this season would have predicted Aston Villa having three losses to start their campaign. Um, and, I mean, to be fair to them, it's been close, I think, in all of their matches. I, I caught the tail end of their game against Arsenal today where they kind of blew... Um, <laughs> their lead pretty late on, but I don't think their, their current record is something that should give us confidence necessarily. I think we need to be a little wary because they do have a very talented squad and obviously they're going to be hurting after having such poor results to start the season. And um, yeah, we definitely need to be on our guard and playing at our best in that game as well. Yeah, to your point, their three losses are a 2-1 to Manchester United, a 2-0 to Liverpool, and a 2-1, as you said, to Arsenal uh, just earlier today. So uh, don't don't take them lightly, but an opportunity once again for, for Spurs women to uh, to get a job done. Uh, we, we're going to be back after, and I, I, I just want to make sure people know, the men play next Monday. So we're going to push the pot a little bit next week. It will not be out Sunday because the men don't play till Monday. Again, the women play Saturday. The men play Monday. The schedule, if you've looked ahead to the men's schedule over the next few weeks for our listeners, it's wonky. There, there's a Monday game, then a Friday game, then another Monday game. So we will get the pot out. Uh, but just don't, don't, don't be tweeting at us on Sunday. Where's the pot? Obviously, the men don't play till Monday. So we'll recap it then. But um, Caroline, thanks so much for, for jumping on and, and, and recapping uh, kind of a, a quieter week. It's, it's nice to have these occasionally, um, which is why we decided to have Gareth Thomas on, which is an interview you're going to hear uh, here in a second. Um, and, and be sure to, to, to stay put for that. But um, Caroline, this was great. Thank you so much for, for hopping on. And uh, you can follow her at CG Stefco. Uh, and now we'll turn it over to my chat with uh, Gareth Thomas.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We are delighted now to be joined by the author of the new book, An Echo of Glory. He is Gareth Thomas. Gareth, thank you so much for joining the Tottenham Depot. Thanks, Andrew, for inviting me. I'm very excited to be talking about the book with your uh, audience over there in the US. Yeah, absolutely. Um, aside from the fact that you are a Spurs supporter, what, what made you want to focus a book on these last 20 years, this modern era of, of this club? Well, this is the my era, really. I started getting really into Tottenham in about 1999 when I was about 10 years old. Even though my all my family are Tottenham supporters, that was when I really got into it. So this has kind of been my journey with the club, taking over from when the club was not in a really good state in the 1990s. There wasn't much to be excited about. And looking back to where we are now, we think, that's 23 years of history and a lot has changed. I think generally positive, though there's been lots of ups and downs over, over the years. And I think that's a story that hasn't really been told yet. There's lots of um, books out there about the glory days of the 1960s and the 1980s that my parents told me about, the FA Cups, the UEFA Cups. But really, we haven't actually had any actual glory of major trophies over these years, which is quite called an an echo of glory from the from the famous quote. Um, yeah, so that's I, I think it's a side of Tottenham's history which hasn't been covered in depth before. So unless I go into every single season, giving more or less the same amount of attention to every single period of of these past twenty three years. No question. Uh, this book, as you mentioned, basically starts out kind of in the time frame that, that where Enoch took over a majority ownership of the club after purchasing purchasing from from Alan Sugar. Um, but when Enoch took over, there was I, I would assume a little bit of skepticism. Now this predates my my Spurs fandom um, going back that far, but Enoch did not have a great track record in terms of their ownership with other clubs. Um, take our listeners back. Like, how much apprehension was there at the time? Did you learn? You know not only through your experience, but through your reporting and writing this book uh, about the direction of the club when Enoch did take over? Well, I think for a lot of fans, it was more of a sense of relief than anything that Alan Sugar was leaving the club because um, Alan Sugar had, had been in charge for almost 10 years throughout most of the 90s. And he'd been very vocal about the fact that he didn't want to spend lots of money on transfers and he didn't like the the direction that football was going in. And there was a big supporters movement to get Sugar out of the club. So when Sugar announced that he was selling up and the deal happened very, very quickly that Enoch came in, people heard that, okay, these guys are Tottenham supporters. Um, we'll Maybe we'll get our Tottenham back and things will go back to exactly how they were in the, the 1980s. That was certainly the hope. And that was certainly the kind of populist idea that, that happened at the time of, oh, well, we'll get... Glenn Hoddle back and everything will be fine. Um, but yeah, the the uh, the reports that there were there at the time and Enoch, and this is something I touched on in the in the book, were that the warnings from other clubs, um, from Vicenza, from Rangers, from, from Slavia Prague, 
was that their record was of um, not putting that much of their own money into the club, of more looking at what they could get out of it in terms of an investment. And and in that time, there were obviously a lot of football clubs in, in England that were in danger financially. Like the, the game has obviously changed since then, but how crucial was it in those first couple of years when Enoch took over to get the the club on firm financial ground? Because it, it really seemed like a lot of teams were in danger at that time. Yeah, exactly. Enoch took over just before a period where the money looked to be going out of football. Like nowadays, we take it for granted that the Premier League gets bigger and bigger with each new TV rights deal and the, the transfer fees go up and the wages go up. The pie gets bigger for everyone. We kind of take it for granted. But in when Enoch took over, the Premier League itself was only 10 years old and there was no guarantee that the next TV deal was going to be bigger than the previous one. And that was, I think, held Enoch back a lot in those first years when they were... I'm very, very careful with the purse strings. They got new sponsorship deals, ticket prices increased, but there was very much in, uh, wasn't very much investment in the squad. And obviously, that leads when you fast forward ahead, you know, twenty some years to their involvement in the Super League from a few seasons ago. Which there's there's a little bit of a mention of that in the book too, but that that involvement and that kind of flirtation with the Super League. It, it to me it seems like seemed at the time like a purely financial decision and another one of those decisions maybe ill-fated but that was just trying to put the club on more firm financial ground more than anything right yeah i think we, we as fans um can have very different views on on the super league but um i think i think daniel levy sees it as his duty to the club to make sure tottenham are in the conversation they're in and they're in the room um when those um things are being discussed and the fact that tottenham were in the conversation is just goes to show that, that they are seen by other clubs as being part of that elite no doubt thanks to the stadium thanks to the Ch champions league final appearance so i think yeah it may be uh, it's a, a very uh, touchy subject but if very. there's going to be a conversation and, and you're in the conversation it means that um in some ways you're considered an elite club yeah, which is which is wild and not something I, th I think that is like almost the the transition from the 90s to, you know, the 2000s and, and 2010s. That is kind of the the sliding doors moment. And it's like almost, you know, unfathomable for some Spurs fans to think of them in that category financially. But um, it, it's just very interesting to, to, to think back to those times. I want to talk a little bit about some of the managers that you, you talk about in this book, um, starting with Glenn Hoddle. To me, the Hoddle era you know, again, it predates my fandom, but it was somehow it felt in reading the book and learning about a little bit more about this. Um, it, it felt almost like an extension of the late 90s and early 2000s in terms of there was an aging squad and a little bit of poor man management and just a lack of real investment in the on-field product uh, from, from, from the early days of Enoch. But I, I guess that that kind of goes hand in hand with what we were talking about before about Enoch trying to get the club on firm financial footing before then turning to the on the field product. Is that, is that a fair assessment? Yeah. Yeah. I think it is that um, Enoch came in and they made this very, very popular decision of removing the ex Arsenal manager, George Graham. Uh, we played very defensive football and bringing in Glenn Hoddle, which is kind of the same kind of thing we've seen this summer with Conte leaving and Postacoglu coming in this idea that we've got our Tottenham back. I mean, that's what that's what people were saying at, at the time when Glenn Hoddle came in. 
And at, at the beginning, that seemed to be the case. The, the team were playing good football. He had Glenn Hoddle, who is really identified with the club and knew what the fans wanted. But over time, it became clear that without the financial backing or without some kind of plan, an actual proper strategy in place, then the, the team wasn't going to progress. And sadly, it, it didn't work out. Yeah. Uh, the, the Martignol area obviously had some upside to it. The club had some really good spells when he came in. Um, but at one point, Daniel Levy reportedly tried to replace him with Jose Mourinho during that time. It's one of my my favorite things in sports. I mentioned it before, like these sliding doors moments. Is that one of those like what could have been types of things? Because obviously Mourinho comes in later and it's a much different story. Um, but that was reading that, you know, it's like one of those things I knew about. But reading that in the book, I was like, wow, that you think back to that time and it's like, wow, that really could have been something there. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how likely it would have really been at that time because Mourinho's stock then was much, much higher than it than it is than it is now when he finally came in 2019. That like his reputation wasn't in its uh, best state either. But it does does go to show one thing with, with Daniel Levy that he's always been extremely ambitious with uh, managers. So they, they, you may say other, other things about the the investment in the playing squad, but with managers, he's constantly been trying to get the biggest names in in the game from Trapattoni back in the early 2000s to Louis van Gaal um before um Pochettino came in and um Mourinho like you say he's always been looking to bring in those um big names yeah there's no question um Spurs obviously the last trophy they've won was the league cup under Juan de Ramos but the Harry Redknapp era is where things really like started to accelerate i feel like in this whole era and these last 20 to 23 years um you know it, it was regular european nights um and during that time i think the the two characters that really stand out from an on the field perspective would be gareth bale and luka modric you you kind of referred to them as the pair of aces that Redknapp had in the book which i love that was just such a it's such a a perfect way to put those two players um is there anyone that you see in this current team that that reminds you of either of those guys because i feel like those are such um important players in the history not just in the modern history but in the long-term history of this football club I would certainly say, well, Son, though he's he's kind of already put himself uh, at, at that level with with them. But then you look at Kulusevsky, it's frightening to think how young he is at 23 years of age. If he carries carries on improving, adds some more some more goals to his game, then what what's his ceiling going to be? He could be one of the next um, players up there. Not to mention some of the others, uh, Udogi and Visuma. Yeah. There's definitely some so a, a new crop that it feels like, like you mentioned, having our Tottenham back is, exactly. is kind of it's what we it's what we've been talking about for the last few months under Postacago. I do want to get to more of the modern stuff as well with you a little bit, but before we do, I, I think one of the other things that stood out to me in reading this book is the most recent real like relegation scrap that Spurs had to deal with was only maybe about 14 or 15 years ago, which the idea of something like that happening in the more modernized game and in, in, in current days is so far fetched to me. Do you, do you chalk that up to like the way that Enoch has, has put this team on that financial footing that we kind of have alluded to, or is it just the something else? Is it more the modern game and how there are more haves and haves nots now in the game rather than in the, you know, even like I said, 15 years ago. Yeah. I'd say now that Tottenham have the resources that if they were in trouble, 
they could just go to the market in January and, and get themselves out of trouble, whether that be a change of manager or bringing in new players. And just like happened in uh, that year, the Robbie Keane and Jermaine Defoe were brought in in the January window to to make sure we got out of out of trouble. And I think that yeah, that with those resources, you should be safe. Though look at Chelsea this year with all the money they've spent, and they're they're still in the bottom half. Yeah, and I, I mean, it's not the same thing as Chelsea, obviously, but you talk about the fact that only a few years ago, Leicester City were winning the Premier League and they've gone down since. So it's, it is, it can still happen, but it does feel, like I said, I think the, the best way I would put it is it feels far-fetched for something, for Spurs to, to have to deal with something like that. Um, let's talk about Mauricio Pochettino, because obviously in more recent history, uh, that name has become, you know, much more polarizing for Spurs fans since he's taken over at Chelsea. But um, his time at Spurs was obviously, you know, incredible. He had the team flying, uh, had them in contention for the title in both the 2015-16 and 16-17 seasons, um, and of course made the Champions League final in 2019. But th there was that period under Pochettino with the lack of investment in terms of incoming players. Um, and I, I tend to just chalk that up to Enoch, once again, kind of being cautious in terms of the financial side of things, especially with the new stadium and, and trying to get that project going, the loan being taken out for that. Um, is it safe to say, and, and I hate making such a grand statement about this, but I almost feel like the building of the new stadium was the detriment to some of those Pochettino teams kicking on and maybe winning silverware at some point, perhaps even winning the league. Yeah, absolutely. I think we were really, really so close that one or two extra players may have made the difference. And who knows if the budget would have been there to bring in one or two extra names or maybe just a higher quality player in some of the signings that were made. But I think the real the real issue there was a lack of forward planning. There was lots of good work done on getting players to extend their contracts, but there was um, not many deals put in place for, for a new crop of players to come through, which is which has now happened with uh, all the signings that Paratici has made and, and now uh, now coming through to the first team. Yeah, no question about it. The stadium itself, um, I, I made it over in March. It's obviously incredible. Opens in the spring of 2019 after some delays. But a year later, obviously, we're, we're all of us globally are hit with the, the pandemic. And I remember reading this New York Times article by Rory Smith around that time, and he was comparing the opening of the stadium uh, in North London to the opening of the Emirates and was kind of comparing Spurs and Arsenal in terms of when they opened their stadiums. And he basically pointed out that um, Arsenal had to deal with a lot in terms of the influx of money into clubs like Chelsea and Manchester City in the aftermath of them opening their stadium up. But for Spurs, obviously, it was way different. Like a pandemic shut down, you know, having fans at games and there were empty seats. There were no concerts. There were no NFL games. You know, the the big money maker that, that Spurs were kind of relying on with the stadium for for a while there was 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 a real setback um do are we finally at a place now we just you know the the second of two nfl games just wrapped up earlier today um are we finally to a point where we can kind of put a lot of that in the rearview mirror and now this stadium for enoch this big crown jewel can be kind of what it's meant to be going forward do, do we feel that way Absolutely. I think that was always the, the, the entire point of the stadium, that it would be a difference maker, that it would separate us from other clubs who aren't based in the capital city, who can't host a Beyonce concert or an NFL game, who can't have that extra income coming in. And once that extra income starts to become a yearly thing, once that's built on year on year on year, 
then I think we'll see start to see Spurs pull away perhaps some other clubs. Well, the other clubs that aren't owned by by entire states, that's a that's a completely different story. But in terms of the rest, there's just no way that they can compete with that extra income. Yeah. Yeah, and and honestly, that's kind of where I want to go next, and it leads right into what's next because this book is a, it's a great snapshot of the last you know twenty plus seasons, um, and it's a really good modern history lesson. But what do you see coming out of this with the stadium now, and you know a new manager in place, and you know we're sitting here looking at you know a, a team at the top of the league at the international break, uh, eight or so games in, but with the revenue coming in. Um, you know, there was even an announcement this week that the stadium is going to host, be a host venue for Euro 2028. Um, what are the areas can we kind of expect investment in from, from Enoch f- to the club, um, perhaps into the women's team, which I know they're trying to, to build up a little bit more and get to kick on what, where, what's next for, for this club going forward now that they do have that stadium in place and, and maybe have finally switched gears with the manager and, and the on-field product as well. Well, I'm not sure that there'll be major changes in spending in the playing squad. I think Enoch have always been very, very sensible in that regard of going for younger players who are an investment for the future of not getting carried away on on spending huge sums on transfer fees. So I can't see there being a change because they've been so consistent um, with that side over the years. What we could see is outside investment. It does seem that they're, they're constantly speaking to other parties. We've got... Um, Qatar, which was um, very close to, to buying a stake in Manchester United, and that's turned out today that that's not happening. Um, so there could be some outside investment. And I think apart from the short term, yeah, on the field, everything's looking rosy. But 10 years from now, will Daniel Levy still be Tottenham chairman? And in 10 years' time, he'll be 70 years old. Um, Joe Lewis, the ultimate owner, will he still be with us? We don't know. Uh, when he's not, how will that affect Enoch? There's... Lots of question marks over the future. And I, I think Daniel Levy wants to stay as um, continue as chairman. As I think he's addicted to the job. I think he loves uh, the club and that's his, his life. Um, but if there were to be a minority stake bought by uh, another entity, then, then that could be interesting. That could be a game changer if there's some outside investment into the club. That all sounds like great fodder for another book, perhaps. Is there, is there, is, is that in the making, perhaps, who, down the road? Who knows? Uh, in, in 10, 15, 20 years' time, who knows? It could be a 50 years uh, book of history. Before I let you go, Garrett, I want, I want to just get your thoughts on Angeball in general, just this this season that, that has been so far, which we've all loved so much, you know, unbeaten, uh, top of the table at the international break. How are you feeling about all this? We, we talk on, on, on the Depot a lot about feels. How do we feel uh, emotionally about this club because we love it so much? Um, how are you feeling about what you've seen from Angeball thus far? Well, I, I recently uh, read a book um, called Glory, Glory, Gone, talking about Tottenham in the 1960s and 70s and how the the identity of the club was so clear and it just expressed through the style of football being played. And in my lifetime, I've never seen football like this and the togetherness and the positivity around the club. So long may it continue. I'm not getting carried away in terms of the league table. I think we'll, we'll soon we'll start to to drop a few points, but I think we just need to to enjoy it. This is what Tottenham Hotspur is about. It's about playing the game with with style, with a flourish, and just going out there and attacking and attacking. And I think this is a yeah, could be the start of a golden period. So let's just sit back and enjoy it. 
I love that. I love that so much. Uh, Gareth Thomas, an echo of glory. Let us know where people can find the book and is there anywhere else folks can, can find your work, uh, like on social media, perhaps? Yep. So I'm on, um, on Twitter, um, as, uh, Gareth Thomas, uh, 54, I think quite easy to, to find me there. Um, the book is out now in Europe, um, uh, available on Amazon. I, from what I've seen on Amazon, it's available in the U S, um, from the middle of January, around the 15th of January. And, um, and yeah, so if you, if you, if you're in Europe in the meantime, do pick up a copy, if not, you have to wait a little bit longer, I'm afraid. Don't worry. We do have plenty of European listeners as well. Uh, and, and a lot in Australia, funny enough, uh, in, in recent months, the, 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 the listenership has certainly gone up there too. So, uh, yeah, the, everybody can, can rush out and get the book. Uh, Gareth Thomas, thank you so much for, for joining us here on the Tottenham Depot and, uh, best of luck with the book and, and, and everything else going forward. Yeah, thanks a lot, Andrew, for having me on. Take care. That's going to do it for this edition of the Tottenham Depot. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks again to Gareth Thomas for telling us about his new book, An Echo of Glory, out now in Europe. Uh, look for it everywhere you get books. Uh, reminder, we will be back with you guys next week on Monday because the men play on Monday. So a little bit of a schedule switcheroo. Um, we're going to be just a little bit later with the podcast next week, but we will be in your feed to recap the weekend and week that was in the world of Tottenham Hotspur. Until then, as always, come on you Spurs.